morning. Um, If you're visiting with us, I'm not the pastor. I'm uh, just a congregant. Um, The pastors are are both on vacation and uh, in Florida with with Jonathan. So, um, so you get me this morning. So praying that the the Lord uh, speaks through me. So if if you've heard me preach before, you probably heard me say this. Uh, so I struggle with the message this morning, uh, and I think that's just a natural part of of preaching. And so I really struggled with it, and it, even up until last night, really struggled with bringing it together. Um, and uh, I think the only solution to find resolve with it was was to add some more scripture to the end. And then cut some some away. So hopefully it comes together and, and makes sense. And praying that the Spirit leads it. The other thing I, I wrestled with, and I'm just going to mention this, is um, during the Christmas season we read a lot in Luke chapter two. Um, and I just want to encourage you, as a believer, uh, to do some Old Testament digging on the importance of that. Um, and so I'll. I'll kind of direct you on that, but uh, I would encourage you to study why it was so important um, that a decree was sent that everyone had to go to their hometown, Uh, because that's a really important piece of scripture, and we read it, and it sounds very beautiful, it's very well written, but it's really important to fulfilling the prophecies of Jesus Christ, and so I would encourage you, uh, if you're looking for some biblical homework, to unpack that. There's a lot there. Um, And actually, it has a little bit to do with Solomon, who we're going to touch on today. So So, uh, the opening scripture this morning is Mark chapter 8, verse 34 uh, through 37. And so this is Jesus said, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself first Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And I want to I focus in on this scripture, church. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So as we go into the new year and you're looking for new year's resolutions and you're looking for things to focus on, I hope that your focus is on Jesus Christ taking up your cross and following him. Not on material things, not on things that'll pass away, things that'll perish, but on things that are eternal. Verse 37 hits really hard. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Church, let that sink in. What would you give in exchange for your soul? Is it money? Some people, it's fame. What's the value? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? 
So we're going to spend some time this morning in Ecclesiastes uh, looking at the torment and the torture of all the things that this world has to offer. I know it sounds fun, uh, but I'm going to drive home the point that this world has nothing to offer us, has nothing. <clears throat> so if you would turn with me to um, Ecclesiastes verse one, or chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to start there. Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon, arguably one of the world's uh, most wise people, and also probably one of the world's most foolish people. Uh, So verse 1 says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit has a man from all of his labor in which he toils under the sun? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? What profit do we have from all of the work that we do? We spend our lives working so we can make money, so we can buy a house, so we can put money into our 401ks, and it's just this rat race, and at the end of the day, you stop and you look and you say, but what profit does that have? What benefit does that have? Does it fulfill your soul? Or does it leave you wanting more? I think if we're honest this morning, every single one of us would admit that the labor that you do leaves you wanting more. It leaves your soul begging and aching for something more. And some people try and fill that begging and aching with more material things. Well, if I just had this, or if I just had this position or this title, and it's not even bad that you have those things. I believe that God puts people in positions of power for his purpose. I believe God puts people in positions within companies with high titles for his purpose, to do his work. And I believe that God will bless you um, as he does bless us. But that shouldn't be our purpose. Verse 4 says, One generation passes away and another generation comes. I had a friend, he used to say, A hundred years from now, no one's going to even remember us. And he always put that in perspective. Like, you're right. Here we are, and and, we would be in in these situations where a group of people were upset with us. My friends always joke that, uh, my job, previous job, that everyone was always just waiting to sue us. And um, he would just look at me and say, Chase, in a hundred years, no one's going to even remember this, and they're not even going to remember us. I'm like, wow, put that in perspective, right? One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down. I want to focus in on this. And hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns to the north. And the wind whirls about continually. It's a cycle, right? The author of Ecclesiastes is using these words to depict what our soul does when we focus on the work of our hands. The wind goes from the north and to the south, and it whirls about continually. If your hope and your faith is in the works of your hands, 
church, you're going to be left wanting. And so as you prepare for a new year and you prepare for 2024, don't do it with hopes that the work that you will do will bring peace or joy or satisfaction. Continues in verse 6 and says, And comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Think about that. The sea doesn't fill up. It's never full. All of the rivers of the world flow right into the sea, and yet it doesn't fill up. It's never full. But the scripture goes on to say, Sorry, to the place from which the rivers come, they, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So think about the rivers flowing into the sea. Solomon is saying that's how our eyes and our ears are, never full. If you're looking for satisfaction from the things this world has to offer, church, it's not there. It's not going to happen. I'm going to skip down to verse 12. It says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. And so Solomon concludes, it's all grasping for the wind. Have you ever tried to catch the wind? It's foolish. You can't. You can't capture the wind. It goes to the north and to the south, and on its circuit, we can't even capture it. Think about King Solomon. He literally had everything. Uh, some would argue the world's wealthiest man to ever ever lived. Okay, he had everything. He had money. He had the title. He was king. He had wisdom. He was wise. He had everything the world had to offer in that that retrospect. And if you would turn to First um, Kings, you don't have to. Uh, chapter eleven tells us that Solomon had seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines. So he was not wanting in any area of his life. So you could say, well, if I just had this person, or if I just had uh, another significant other, and you're looking for the answer somewhere else, Solomon didn't find it, and he had a thousand significant others. Seriously, church. So anything you want to look to fill your heart with, it does not satisfy It doesn't satisfy, church. It doesn't matter if it's the money that Solomon had or the wisdom. Oh, if I just went back to school and I just got this degree or I just learned about this, man, I would have it all. You won't. And I'm not saying that going to school and learning more is bad. But it's not going to satisfy. He says that all is vanity and grasping for the wind. A man who had Everything says it's grasping for the wind. Hopefully that what you hear in Solomon's uh, 
tone and in the scripture is the torment that he had. He was tormented by having everything. Chapter 2, he goes on to say, I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with myrrh. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. So he starts filling his heart with even more things. I'm going to try the pleasures this world has to offer. But surely this was also vanity. I said laughter, madness, and of myrrh. What does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what it was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. Have you ever felt like that? Just searching, God, what should man do all the days of our lives? What should I do all the days of our lives? Carrie and I always joke that neither of us have decided what we want to be when we grow up because this is what's in us, right? This is human nature to say, what what must man do all the days of their lives? I made my works great. I built myself houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which uh, to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants. I had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of uh, herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of sons of men, and musical instruments of all kind. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. And so Solomon's saying, if I saw something I wanted, I took it. If my heart desired something, I went after it. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was the reward of all of my labor. Then I looked on all the works with my hand, that my hands had done, and on my labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Have you ever felt like this, church? That it's just the rat race. And you know, I love, uh, I love Dave Ramsey, and I love, I love his message of living debt-free, but we can, even, we can even create that to where it becomes a rat race, right? That it's bondage. It becomes chains that we wear because we're tied to this system or this program. That's man-made, even though it's based on biblical principles. There's no profit under the sun. And I want to fast forward a couple verses to verse 17. And I want to ask you, have you ever felt like this? Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. I will tell you that a year ago, I hated life because of the labor I was doing. And it was not 
uh, it was not unknown to anyone. All you had to look do was look at, at my, uh, my face and my skin tone, and I was dying because of the labor that I was doing. And maybe it's just me, and maybe this scripture, the, these scriptures just resounded because of, of where I have been recently. But I'm hoping that this is hitting home with you. Because, church, as we go into a new year, and if your hope is in, oh, it's new year, things are going to be great, I would not put my hope in that. Um, I, I, t- I told some of my friends the other day, I said, I don't know if you guys are seeing this, but all around me, unsaved people are talking about how crazy they think 2024 is going to be. That scares me. <laughs> when the world's like, hey, yeah, uh, 2024 is going to be chaotic. Your hope can't be in the, the systems of man. It can't be in the works of your own hand. So he said, therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing for me. All is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which that I had toiled under the sun because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Think about that. Everything that you work for on this side of eternity, you have to leave to someone else. And as much as you love or trust those someone else's, they may not understand the value of the work that you had done. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all of my labor in which I toiled, in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. Church, this is what the world has to offer. The best the world has to offer is that you can make a lot of money, make a name for yourself, you can die and leave it to someone else. That's the best this world has to offer. That's it. This is also vanity. Therefore, I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. Yep. That's it, church. That's what it is. That's what this world has to offer. You have to leave all that you've worked for to someone who hasn't labored for it. This also was vanity and a great evil. So you can hear Solomon getting frustrated. For what has a man for all of his labor and all the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night, his heart takes no rest. Have you been there, church? Do you take melatonin just to fall asleep? I can't tell you the restless nights that I've had toiling over work that somebody else will take over when we're gone. This is also vanity. And this is what he ends with. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should, be, should enjoy good in his labor. This also... I. I saw was from the hand of God. And we can graze over that scripture, but this is the conclusion that he comes to. Is that actually it's 
about minimizing. That the reward of your labor is to just eat, drink, and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Not in large quantities, not in abundance, but in just enough. This also, I saw, was from the hand of God. So I started thinking, what was the original purpose of labor, of working all the things that we do? So if you will, as we do often here, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Church, that was our original purpose as human beings, was to tend and to keep the garden. And then I want you to look at the very next scripture. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. So here's, here's how this works. Man tended the garden, he ate the fruits of his labor. It was, it was just that simple. And sometimes, and I, I, uh, I'm a huge fan, partially I guess I should say, of um, Henry David Thoreau and Ralph Waldo Emerson. And um, uh, Thoreau said, simplify, simplify, simplify. And there, there's something to that about simplifying our lives. We tend the garden, eat of the trees in the garden. That was right standing with God. When we were in right relationship with God, before sin entered the world, our labor was not toilsome. It wasn't a curse. This was the reward of tending the garden, to eat of the fruits of our labor. I want to point out that of that, uh, of the trees in the garden, that included the tree of life. I want to pause for a moment and ask if you've noticed that man is obsessed with living longer. Man is consumed with immortality, finding the quote-unquote fountain of youth. Look at beauty products, anti-aging medicines. We are consumed with how do we live longer. And I think it's ironic that that was actually an option in the garden, and man chose not to take part in it. Because at the core of man, we want what we can't have. And so they chose the tree of knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. Verse 17 says, But of the tree of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat you shall surely die. And so if we uh, turn the page to chapter 3, verse 17, it says, And then he said to Adam, so after sin entered the world, and God uh, discovered that they had sinned, and uh, they had discovered that they were naked, and God said, how do you know you were naked? Who told you? This is the curse that God puts on man. Then he said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground for your sake. So what Solomon discovered was scripture, which is cursed is the ground. In toil, you shall eat of it. In toil and hard work, right? All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And that sounds really depressing. But there is hope, church. Later in Genesis chapter 3, Verse 23, it says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So man was set outside of the garden, and we're no longer in right relationship and right standing with God. But there's hope. And the only way that we can bring this all together is to spend time focusing on that hope. So, we're going to read all of chapter 8 of Romans. So, I apologize for uh, the amount of scripture. But this is our hope. This is the hope that we have in this world. And church, I hope that this passage of scripture speaks to you. And I hope that if you find yourself in the next year, in despair or discouraged, that you read this passage of Scripture, the entire chapter. Because when I was trying to figure out how to wrap all this up, and I landed on Romans chapter 8, my soul was leaping. Because it's hope. It's the hope that we have. So verse 1 of chapter 8 says... There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're sitting there and you feel condemned by the weight of sin, there is hope. It's Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that there's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That is our blessed hope, church. That's our hope. It's not in the works of our hand. It's not in, uh, did I attend church enough? It's not, did I give enough? It's not uh, on anything that we can do. Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9 tell us that it's a gift of God. Lest any man should boast. It's not of our works. It's not of works. It's a gift of God. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of spirit... For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That is hope, church. The curse that we were under and being uh, out of right relationship with God is brought back into right relationship with God when Christ Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We are no longer slaves to sin and to death. Meaning that curse of the toil of the ground. We still have to work, but we don't work 
for ourselves, we work unto the Lord, as, as we're told in Colossians chapter 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Church, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled through Christ Jesus, giving us hope. We are not condemned. We do not have to live under the condemnation of this world. We are set free from the bonds of this world, from the labor of this world, from the bondage of sin, and from the curse of death. For those who live according to flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Church, you cannot set your, things on the, your mind on the things of the flesh. That's living in the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. That is a New Year's resolution. To set your mind on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Church, that's what Solomon discovered. When you work in the flesh, you can't please God. And what that does to your soul is it leaves your soul desiring and wanting more of something. That answer is Christ. That is what our soul desires. Our soul desires being in right standing and in right relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our only hope. Our flesh cannot please God. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news, as you said, upon a new year, but you can't work your way out of that feeling in your soul. Amen. That's actually good news, because that is tiring. I've done it. I've tried it. Have you tried it? You can't do it. I've tried it in, in the four walls of this church. You know, hey, if I just pray enough. If I just read enough, if I just come to church enough, it's not by our works, church. It's by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not by works, lest any man should boast. But you are not flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, we are of the Spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in us. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. <clears throat> but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Church, that's good news. The death, the toil, the torment that our souls have can have life through the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. 
That is amazing. That is good news. That should encourage you this morning. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Church, we are free from the chains of this world. We are not debtors to the flesh. We don't have to live according to the flesh. We are debtors to Christ Jesus. For if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if the spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, Abba, Father. And I want to take a moment and focus there. Church, when you're set free from the bonds of this world, you are not put in bondage back to the flesh. And so often what we do is we put sin at the forefront of our Christian walk rather than putting Christ at the center of our walk. You have been set free from the bondage of sin. Christ reigns in your mortal body. Focus on pleasing the Spirit of God. That is who we are in bondage to. Notice Paul tells us the spirit of adoption, crying out, Abba, Father. Churches, Gentiles who are grafted into the vine, who have uh, right standing with Almighty God, and who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are eternally bound to him. Romans 6.18 tells us that we are We've been set free from sin, therefore we become slaves to righteousness. And so in this new year, don't focus on what not to do. Focus on what to do, which is to glorify God in your actions. That is, that is our Christian duty. We have been set free from the bondage of sin. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if ch children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Church, we just talked about the best thing that this world has to offer is you to work your whole life to give it to somebody else. That means they're heirs in this world, right? So when Chase passes away, Carrie passes away, our heirs, our two daughters, would get what we have. That's the best this world has to offer. But Christ offers heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ to the kingdom of God. That's what the Spirit offers. That's what the Word of God offers. That should give you hope. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider, consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared for the glory which shall be revealed in us. Church, if you're feeling down, you're feeling trodden, you're feeling like you have no hope, put your hope in Christ. Because the glory that is to come is is not worthy to be compared to the suffering that we go through. And this is Paul speaking, who suffered a lot, who spent days 
floating in the ocean because of a shipwreck. I always, uh, I think back of the trip to Malta. Pastor Jason preached on that a couple months ago. And remember, they went and there was a, a tempest. The sea, they were wrecked at sea. They make it by a miracle to an island, and they go to set up a fire. And what's the first thing that happens to Paul? He gets bit by a viper. It's like, can, can more bad things happen to this guy? But he says that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to come. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Do you feel that? That even creation is eagerly waiting the return of Christ for the revealing of the Son of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from bondage of corruption into glorious liberty of the children of God. That's what's to come. Even creation itself will be set free from the bondage and the curse of sin of this world. This is our hope, church. For we, knew, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Do you feel it? This was written 2,000 years ago, but I still feel it today. That creation groans uh, and labors with birth pangs. Not only that, but we also, who have the, uh, the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Church, that's our blessed hope, the redemption of our bodies, eagerly awaiting the return of, the, uh, of Christ. For we were saved in this hope, but the hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And that's where we're at, church. We are eagerly waiting the return of Christ with perseverance. And we can't grow weary as much as the world wants to beat us down, as much as the world wants to tear us down, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is, not in, our hope is in Christ, not in the works of our hands, not in our own ability, and definitely not in our government. Our hope is in Christ, church. Our hope is is in Christ. That's where our hope has to lie. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. We have something that can help. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We have the Spirit making intercession for us to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, that he also called. And who he called, these he justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And church, that's our hope. If we've been called, he will glorify us one day with new bodies and a new heaven and a new earth. And this earth and the curse that we live in will pass away. That is our blessed hope. I'm going to ask the band if you could please come.
Church, stick with me. We have about nine more verses to go. And they're, they're the left hook, right? They're the knockout punch. Verse 31. If you're feeling worn down, you're tired, you're not looking forward to going back to work, on Tuesday. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Church, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son. Think about this. God did not spare Christ Jesus, his own son. That's the length that he went for you. Remember our opening scripture. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Or what will a man exchange for his soul? The Lord, God the Father, sent his one and only son for your soul. That's what he gave in exchange. If he is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son but delivered him up from us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and who also makes intercession for us. If you're looking for hope today, Christ Jesus came He lived a sinless life. He died for your sins. He was in the grave, buried, rose from the grave, and now is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession on believers' behalf. That is hope, church. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or sword. Think about Adam being expelled from the garden, knowing what it is like to be in right standing and right relationship with God, standing there, knowing the earth is cursed, that in toil and sweat he'll eat, and that cycle leads to death. But we don't live there, church, because we live in a time, and in the most amazing time, where Christ has come and has restored man to right relationship with God. So can tribulation separate us from the love of God? No. Distress, persecution, famine nakedness, peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we, were all, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, 
nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Church, that is our hope this year. That is what we have to look forward to. And even when it's hard, and even when we toil, we need to look up and put our hope and our faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord. stand together. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing And you're desperate for some healing Let me tell you about my Jesus